Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Let's take out our Bibles together, if that's all right. And you can open it to the fifth book in the New Testament, the book of Acts, as we are going to continue in our series, finally picking it up again after Easter now, called Real Christianity, as we go through this book, this historical book that records for us the story of the early church. And we're going to start today in Acts chapter 3, so you can open up there. Now, a spiritual mentor of mine, just a brilliant guy, he would always comically tell this story of when he was a bit younger, he was in the church, and they went on an outreach into Africa, and with a whole bunch of people, they came to this moment where they were praying for this young little girl. And this girl, unfortunately, had one leg that was way longer than the other one. Just in horrible pain all of her life. Her hips were struggling. And so they said they are going to pray for healing. They're going to trust for a miracle. And he says this very elderly, very stately, proper Englishman that went with them on this outreach, he was going to pray for this young girl. And just before he prayed, he looked her straight in the eyes and he said to her, my darling, do you want to be shorter or taller? It's what he basically asked her. And I always hear that story, and I think, that's so beautiful, isn't it? Because it speaks of such an earnest faith. Like, I'm going to pray, and we can even decide if it's longer or shorter. That's how powerful my God is. He's the God of the miracle work. And at the very same time, as I, as I chuckle about that, guys, as we are going to speak about, as this text confronts us with the idea of miracles, I'm going to tell you honestly, I battle with this. I wrestle with God about this very much. I've had seasons where my faith has really been shaken because of this, and I keep going back and forth with God about this. You know, our son, Benjamin, he was born with a genetic abnormality, and so every year of his life, he's losing more of his hearing, and that's going to keep on happening until the day that he has basically no hearing left. I battle with that. God, where's the miracle in that? Just now, in the recent couple of weeks, two of our partners have lost their fathers. And I battle with that. God, where's the healing in that? I think of many years ago, I was in the church that I got saved into as a student. And this one evening, we had a girl in our church, just beautiful young woman. And through a freak accident, she was put into a wheelchair for the rest of her life. And this one evening, there was this air of excitement and, and almost faith in the church and someone came forward and said, I believe we have to pray for her because God is going to heal her tonight. And man, I was ecstatic as a young Christian. I was like, wow, we're going to see this happening. And so her husband wheeled her forward to the front of the church, a packed house in the church that evening. And we all went forward and we started praying for her. We started praying with faith. We laid hands on her and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. And I battle with that. God, where is the miracle in that? I have a friend from Bloom who, he's a, an incredible servant of the church. 28 years old for his whole life. He's been working for one of the biggest churches in Bloemfontein. And he's been a servant of that church, faithfully giving his life. And now in January, a week before his wedding, he passes away suddenly from COVID-19. God, where is the miracle in that? I battle with this. So God, do you heal? 
Are miracles still a thing in 2021 with with science and with rationality? Is God good? Does he intervene? I know you don't battle with these questions, but I battle with these questions. And I want to show us that as we speak about miracles today, we're not going to answer all the questions that we have, but we're going to start the conversation. Because this text, Acts chapter 3, speaks of the first miracle post the resurrection of Jesus in the church. It's the first time we see something like this happening in the story of the church. And almost all the commentators say that if you understand this miracle and what's behind it, if you see the the greater gears working, if you understand this one, you will understand all the miracles in the New Testament because it speaks about who our God is. Amen? So read with me Acts chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. And so he turned to them expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Verse 12. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? Verse 15. You killed the source of life, speaking of Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him the perfect health in front of all of you. Verse 18. And in this way, God fulfilled what had been predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. And therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. That seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. And we'll just leave it there for the day. It's an incredible passage, isn't it? And almost all the commentators say that understanding this miracle, this miracle points us in four directions. And the first direction is this. It points us upward. It points us upward. Where? To God's validation of Jesus. It points us upward to God's validation of Jesus. Read with me in verse 15. You can underline this in your Bible. It says, you killed the source of life. What? Whom God raised from the dead. And it's his name. His name has made this man strong. 
What is Peter saying? Peter is saying that miracles in the Bible are not for show. The miracles that Jesus, that he performed and that, that were wrought through him and in the early church, what? They were a sign of validation of who Jesus is. It was like, you know, a signature. I had to do a wedding yesterday and, you know, our, our legal processes in this country are such that you have to sign and go through a whole bunch of things to validate legally a wedding, a marriage. And it's almost as if this was God's way of signing off on what Jesus was doing in a way that no one can deny. I'm going to validate this man. He's not just a wise man. He is God in person. So that's why the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 2, 3, that this salvation, this Jesus, it had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed by us and those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders and various miracles. God was saying, let me speak about who Jesus is. And so I heal, I restore, I renew, I do things that you cannot deny. Now we say that's nice in the Bible times, in the olden times, when people were ignorant, when people did not have science, when we did not have deep rationality. So this is almost like something, you know, David Hume, he was this famous Scottish philosopher in the 1700s, and he started this movement to say, you know what, this whole idea of miracles and all of this stuff, it's unhistorical and it's unscientific. No person with a working frontal lobe should believe this kind of stuff. Miracles, come on. And so many people feel that way. And I want to say that's true in most cases. Most of the time, stuff like this, when people come up with things on the internet that your grandmother probably forwards to you or that uncle that you never speak to, all those little WhatsApp videos of conspiracy theories and it's this and it's the Loch Ness and it's flat earth and whatever, most of that stuff is bunk. I agree. You know, just a hundred years ago, because of a lack of scientific understanding, scientists actually forwarded the idea that the sun gets its energy directly from God. And now, you know, a hundred years later, we know that the sun gets its energy, it's, it's produced by nuclear fusion. But it's that way of thinking that we think that God needs to be inserted into everything that we don't understand. This is often called the God of the gaps argument. And I want to say that's bad science and it's even worse theology. Because if my God, my faith is built on the fact that I don't understand how this works, therefore God... Your God is not very powerful. He's not very all-encompassing. And where we see rather the greatness of the God of the Bible, we see a God who is not just inside of creation, but outside of creation, who speaks into being. And it's a God who says, I have created all that you see, and I invite you to investigate. I invite you into the the, the scientific realm. I invite you to come and know and to worship in that. That's why the scientific journey that we have up to this point, historically, it's been the Christian church that's forwarded science. And it's only recently that this idea has come forward that we are anti-science, anti-knowledge, anti because we believe in fairy tales or something like that. That's not the truth. So yes, usually that's the case, but, and it's a big but, You have to appreciate the but. But there are moments in history that are so extraordinary, that are so captivating, that even the most hardened historian, the most skeptical historian, eventually gets to the point where he admits 
that you know what the miraculous is probably the best explanation. And historians of all sorts will say, you know what fits perfectly into that category? It's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because to this day, whether atheist, Jewish, agnostic, Christian, doesn't matter. Historians will wrestle with the details about this man's life. Let me just give you one example. Historians have been for almost decades now, in the last couple of years, they've been trying to put forward a, a... an alternate theory as to how the Christian church just explodes out of nowhere 2,000 years ago. Hundreds of movements squashed in that time, but this one movement that's built off of thousands of Jewish men and women who overnight start suddenly worshiping a man as God, where for hundreds of years their culture and their religion told them to do that is heretical. The only good explanation for that is that hundreds of them saw that man alive again. Does that happen all the time? No, it almost never happens, but it did happen. And how you wrestle with that is very difficult. And maybe you say, well, Joe, I'm an educated person. I'm a rational person. I don't believe in stuff like that. That's, you know, that's for the simple-minded. That's superstition. It almost reminds me of uh, Nicholas Kristof. He's this American journalist, and he's won two Pulitzer Prizes. A couple of years ago, he had this series of articles in the New York Times where he was going back and forth with different faith leaders of different religions, trying to wrestle with this thing of faith and religion and all this stuff. And when he spoke to this very, very wise Christian pastor, he asked him, and he said, listen, I, I deeply admire Jesus, I'll be honest. I admire him. And his message, but I'm skeptical of things like, you know, the virgin birth and the resurrection, the miracles and all these things. And I think it was so incredible how this pastor just gently answers him in this way. When he says, you know what, there is nothing illogical about miracles if God, the creator, exists. If God exists, if God who creates all things exists, then turning water into wine or parting some water or raising a person from the dead is not just allowed, it's expected. That's not a big deal even. I mean, the greatest miracle in all of the Bible is not someone walking on water. It's the first verse of the whole Bible that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is no greater miracle than that. And if that can be, then miracles are not just rational, they are expected. If God is the one who set up and created the laws of nature, oh yes, he can bend them, even break them at times if he so wishes. You know, we were Friday evenings at the Strofel House is homemade pizza and movie evening. And so Ben chose uh, the movie Ants for this past Friday. Anyone watched the movie Ants? Did you realize that movie is 23 years old? Guys, how old am I? Literally. Um, I could see my life literally passing before my eyes as I realized it came out so long ago. But in this movie, there's a moment where the two ants escape from their nest and they are confronted with a being <laughs> so great that it literally takes leaps, it bounds over hundreds of ant-sized, you know, spaces, and it has these incredibly big leather things on its, you know, its limbs. It's, it's an unthinkable creature. Just imagine them having to go back and explain to them that this thing 
exists. It's unthinkable. But if you say that a human being can exist, then that crazy story is not that crazy at all. It's actually very rational. It's actually expected. If God exists, you should expect miracles. If God exists, you should expect a man called Jesus to raise from the dead and things that historians wrestle with to happen. And if you are going to commit yourself to something like a, like a naturalistic atheism, you have to be certain and bet your life on it that there cannot be something like a God. And there cannot be something like a creator who says, I intervene, I bring my kingdom into my creation. And I want to tell you, that is a tall order. If we say Christians are maybe a bit closed-minded or they are, you know, arrogant, they have the truth. Man, you have to be really arrogant to say, I know that I know that I know that that is not possible. So is that the way that the, the universe usually works? No. But what did God do? He surrounded the ministry of Jesus with miracles not so that he can simply confirm the message or the movement. Why? Because he wanted to validate the man. He wanted to validate the person of Jesus. You know, I've been listening to a podcast the last couple of months called the Side B Podcast, where they interview, you know, previous, they were formerly atheists, and then they converted to Christianity from such diverse backgrounds, young and old and different cultures and stories. It's so incredible. And just recently, they had this guy on called Daniel Roger, and he says, you know, his journey started when he was challenged to investigate as an atheist, grew up in an atheist home, to investigate the veracity of the, the historical Jesus. He said that teased them almost a bit. But when he started reading the Gospels for himself, he said, something of the man captured me. Something of the character and the teaching and the heart, something of who he is changed my life forever. I could resist the message. I could even resist the movement of the people, but I could not resist the man. And when we see miracles in the Bible, it's so that God would come and validate the person of Jesus. Friends, listen to me today. Our faith, Christianity, does not rest on the fact that the Bible can predict certain things in the future. It does not rest on the fact that the church's testimony over 2,000 years would be perfectly solid. It does not rest on the fact that we have this tight philosophical argument that just convinces people in a second. You know, we do not get a, a watertight argument. We got a watertight person. We have a watertight person in Jesus. And God said, every time I break into creation, it's to validate who he is. It points us upward. But it also points us forward. To what? To the future restoration. It points us forward to the future restoration. Verse 21, read this with me and highlight where you can. It says, heaven must receive him, Jesus. What? Until the time of the restoration, not just of one man's walking, but what? Of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. You see, Peter is saying that this moment, this incredible healing of this man, it's a sign of what? Of the restoration of all things that is coming. It is coming. 
You see, all the Jewish people that were there that day, they would have instantly recognized because they were so steeped in the Old Testament. It's what their bread and butter was even as children. They would have immediately recognized this moment of healing as something of a confirmation, as, as something of a, of a moment of, of coming to fruition of some of the Old Testament promises like Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6 that says, Then the eyes of the blind, it speaks about this man who is to come, then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Why? Because Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit hundreds of years before Jesus, speaks of this Messiah, the Savior who would come, and he would give of himself, and through this giving, he would literally reverse the death and the brokenness and the sin and the pain of mankind. Isaiah speaks of him in verse 5 of chapter 53 when he says, but he, this man who would come and reverse our brokenness, how would he do that? He said he was pierced because of our rebellion. Crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. We are healed because of his wounds. And so the Bible fast forwards to the book of Revelation and it says this man who would come and start reversing what was broken, who would start come undoing what has gone wrong. It says in Revelation 21 verse 4, this is where it's going to end, friends. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Why? Because the previous things have passed away. Friends, that is the future. The Bible paints. It's not heaven that's like some cloud palace with a bunch of overweight babies and wings. No, it says the future is new creation. It's the new heavens. It's the new earth. No more pain. No more death. No more sin. Life that's even more full than it is now. Work that's even more fulfilling than it is now. Relationships and love that's even more deep than it is now. Us being human even more than we are now forever. And the miracles of Jesus are pointing us in that direction. It wasn't a magic show, friends. Do you know that? Jesus just going around like, woohoo, guys, I've got some tricks. Let me show you my power. If that was the idea, I mean, Jesus could have just written his name in the clouds or lifted, you know, the temple into the air. Or he could have, you know, uh, gotten Bafana Bafana to win the 2022 World Cup. That would have been a miracle, right? That's a miracle. Amen. But the miracles were not about just displaying raw power. They were about relieving the human condition. Bringing the kingdom in bite sizes to say this is the truth, friends. So miracles are not a suspension of the natural order. They are a return to the natural order. And where Jesus walked, the kingdom was there. And he said, come, the kingdom is at hand. Repent, turn to me. So what do miracles show us about the God that I wrestle with? I know you don't wrestle because you guys are just such beautiful Christians. No issues. But I wrestle with that God. You know what it says about that God? Miracles show us that God is no happier with the state of the world than I am. This is not God's intention. God's intention is not death and pain and brokenness. God's intention is not this. And the Bible says this is the corruption that comes from, from sin. This is the corruption that comes from evil. This is a, a creation that is out of joint from what it should be. 
And God says, I'm bringing it back. It has begun. It began with Jesus. He said the kingdom is at hand. It's been inaugurated with his death and resurrection. We are marching toward the new creation. And it started, we are in the in-between. We're in the, the already and the not yet. And Jesus and his kingdom goes and goes. And he says every time that we pray and there's a healing, there's a breakthrough, whether it's financial, emotional, spiritual, relational, practical, it's the kingdom of Jesus breaking through. It's where all of it is going. It's not cloud babies, friends. It's so much greater. You know what? Even for you today, if you sit here with incredible pain, if you are a Jesus follower, there's a promise for you. It's not the end. It's not the end of your story. You know, I think of Joni Erickson Tadar. She's this incredible gift to the church. She had this accident as a young girl, and she was paralyzed for life. And she writes in one of her books, she says, you know what? At the great marriage supper of the Lamb, in the new creation, the first thing that I will do on resurrected legs is to fall to my glorified knees and praise the God of resurrection and healing. And then I'll stand and I'll dance before him with all my might. That's Christianity, friends. There is a deep hope. So can we maybe just do like rapid fire? Just one or two quick questions about this thing of miracles. So question number one, does God still heal today? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's not a single thing in the Bible that says anything other than that. God heals. So what should we do? Should we heal? Should we shout? Should we make it happen? Should we work up? You know, the way, can the worship team join me, guys? Let's get it. No, we should pray. We are not called to heal a single person. We are called to pray in faith. And we should do that. And if you say, well, it doesn't really happen in the modern age, you know, the Old Testament, that's when miracles happen. Can I challenge you? If you have a bit of time, there's a book by Craig Keener. He's probably the most well-respected biblical scholar in the world at the moment. And he wrote a couple of years ago a two-volume work called Miracles, 2,207 pages. So easy weekend read for most of you guys, where he has done rigorous scientific investigation. And he gives literally hundreds of pages of medically verified miracles from all around the world. This man has sat on his backside for a long time to prove the point. Not only does it happen, it happens everywhere. I mean, at one stage, he gives 400 pages of just evidence. <laughs> I mean, there's like 13 pages of just names and people of, of accounts of the blind healed globally in the modern time. 13 pages of the lame walking, 43 pages of global accounts of the dead raised to life. This is not some kook on YouTube somewhere on TikTok making funny videos. This is the most well-respected scholar at Harvard in the biblical field. And he's saying 2,207 pages, friends, God heals today. So pray. So pray. But second question, should the healings like we have in Acts 3 then be our everyday expectation? And I want to say yes and no. Yes and no. Because God as the creator can do anything. So pray. But. <laughs> there's that but again. Even though Peter. I mean Peter doesn't even ask for healing. He just announces healing in this moment. That's powerful. And the apostles do that all throughout the, the book of Acts. And yet even Paul. I mean Paul healed countless of people through the, the power of the Holy Spirit. But in 2 Timothy 4 verse 12, he says he had to leave one of his best ministry friends. He had to leave him 
at Miletus because he was so sick. So even for the apostles, it was not this, this slot machine. It just works. We trust God and we trust him alone. And maybe the last quick question is, should this hope of supernatural healing, should it replace normal medical procedures? And I want to say a resounding no. <laughs> there is not a single thing in the Bible that says that you should take your sick child and only pray and not go to the doctor. That's unchristian. Because we believe the Bible says in a God who is responsible both for the miracle and the medicine. He is the God who inspires and gives friends. You can go and look. The, the development of the modern hospital is a Christian thing. You can go and read that for yourself. It's Christian conviction saying God has gifted us. And I know that God heals whether he uses the miracle or the medicine. So I pray and I go to my GP. And both are as Christian as you can be. And all the doctors said amen to that, right? So miracles point us, yes, upward, and they point us forward, but they also point us inward. They point us inward, what? To our need for salvation. Our need for God. Read with me, verse 6. I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. See, this, this man is asking for money. But in how Peter is answering him, he's basically saying, listen, what you are asking is good. It's a good thing to ask. But what I want to give you is so much better. It's so much deeper. And so the Bible keeps making this point over and over again that all sickness physically is pointing to something deeper. It's pointing to a deeper spiritual need, a deeper spiritual sickness. And this man, instead of simply receiving a good thing like healing he, or, or money, he received healing. And then we'll see next week in Acts 4, this man becomes a follower of Jesus. There is no greater gift that he could receive. And so it's almost as if the Bible is saying, with respect, as, as horrible as suffering is, there's something much worse. It's being crippled by sin in my soul forever. It's being disconnected from life itself. It's going through eternity not knowing the love of my eternal father. Not hearing him saying over me, you are my son. I'm love with you and you, you make me proud. I've called you. I've, I've resurrected you. I mean, guys, think about this. This guy sat day after day after day at this, at this space, and he saw people walking past, and he probably thought, if I can just walk, I will never be unhappy again. Never. Is that true? Can we test that? I'm sure that most of you walked in here today. Most of us can walk. Are you perfectly happy? All of you can walk, and yet almost all of us have deep unhappiness in parts of our life. <laughs> I'm sure that this man, after being healed, there were stages of his life that he became unhappy again about certain things. So walking does not equate happiness. And we say, yeah, of course. And yet all of us have things like that. God, if you can only heal this, God, if you can only bring breakthrough here, if you can just release this, if you can just resurrect my business, if you can just mend my marriage, if you can just give me breakthrough in my finances, God, if you can just take this pain away, I will never be unhappy again. It's not the truth. There is a 
deeper satisfaction that God is calling us to. There is a deeper healing. There is a deeper joy. God is saying the things that you ask are good and don't stop asking because he's a good father. But there's something more than simply money. There's something more than simply healing. There's something more than just having good relationships. It's God. It's not the God who is useful to me, but the God who is beautiful in me. You know, there's this incredible moment. Matthew, who writes his record of the life of Jesus, there's this passage that for chapters and chapters and chapters, he he gives all the healings. It's just healings and healings. Like Jesus is on the Oprah level of healing. Like you get a healing and you get a healing. Everyone's just getting a healing. He's going out of his way, Matthew, to make the point that Jesus is healing all the sickness. And all the commentators say it builds up to this moment where you're expecting probably the ultimate healing. It's like the healing, the alpha of healings is about to happen. And what happens? Matthew 9 verse 2, it says, Just then some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. And you're like, oh yes, here we go. Healing, healing, healing. And what does Jesus tell him? Have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine the awkwardness of this moment? (laughs) It's like all your friends bring you to Jesus. You cannot walk. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Your friends are like, Okay, it's not, it's not really what we were hoping for. But it's almost as if God is saying, and by the way, this man is healed physically. But it's almost as if God is saying, you are saying to me, this is my greatest need. And God is saying, there is a greater need still in you. Yes, this is what you want, but let me give you what you actually need. And so as Christ followers, if you are a Jesus follower here today, we have to say with Peter, you know what? The ability to physically heal you, I cannot always give you. But what I can give you in my heart, there's a truth, there's a testimony, there's a story of a Jesus who brings forgiveness and healing and truth and redemption that I give to you. And there is nothing greater. You know, Benjamin, my son a while ago, he was so excited about this toy. It was this Hot wheel set that the car jumps through like plastic fire at the end of the ramp. Now just imagine as we're going back and forth, I tell Benjamin, listen, I'm going to do you one better. Let's say I had the money for that. I am, instead of giving you this, you can choose either this or I'm going to put one million rand in an equity fund for you. And you leave it for 20 years, in your 20s, you're going to be set for life. What do you think Benjamin is going to choose? He's going to say, the car. (laughs) And I'm like, Benjamin, it's a million rand in an equity fund. And he's going to say, but dad, it's plastic fire. (laughs) How can you beat that? Isn't it true? What we want and what we need, it's not always the same. And we say, yeah, but Benjamin's six years old. I'm not stupid. I'm an adult. Okay. Say that to the one who has got the span of the universe and history and who is guiding nations and who is guiding billions at a time and tell me that you know better. Trust him for what you need. And lastly, he points us also outward. What? To the mission of the church. 
miracles point us to the mission of the church. What do you guys think happened with Peter and John at the end of the story? It was probably like parades and guys, you're amazing and News 24 interviews and like viral videos on YouTube. Is that what happened? No, they got jailed. That's what happened. Go and read the story. We're going to get there next week. If you stick around, that's what happened. So there's a bit of sad news. There's this pattern in the book of Acts. It seems that every time a miracle happens, the miracle worker gets into trouble. And that's what you see in the life of Jesus. The moment that he raises his best friend from the grave, you know what it says? They literally, the next thing is, from that day on, they plotted to kill him. So one pastor says that bringing Lazarus out of the grave was Jesus putting himself in the grave. Even when the, the lady with the issue of blood, when she touched Jesus and she was healed, Jesus makes the comment that, that power has left me. <laughs> There's something that we see. You know what the Bible calls that? When, when someone has to give of themselves so that you would be healed, the Bible calls that substitution. I stand in the place for you. And it costs me. And so Jesus gave his life so that you and I could live. Can I give us a news flash, friends, as we are on the doorstep of the city? You know what the healing of the city will bring? A church that's ready to die for it. It's in the death of the church that the city will live. Because we will say, God, my time and my treasures and my talents, it's not mine, it's yours. How do you want me to steward it? How do you want me to support and love and serve the friend and neighbor and colleague and family member? How can we be a church that imitates the Jesus that we have by giving of ourselves so that others would live? You know, I have a friend who lives in the Western Cape, and it's a tragic story. In their church, their worship leader, he's a man who served in that church for many years. And a couple of years ago, he came out and he said, you know what? Because of my wife and I, we've been struggling with infertility and we've come to the point where the doctors say, you will never have your own natural children. And so he said, you know what? I'm no longer a Christian. And he posted this long, this venomous post on Facebook where he said, you know what? How, what, what kind of God is this? You know, some people are throwing their kids into dustbins, and here I am serving in the church, and God does this to me. What kind of God? I'm no longer a Christian. Friends, we need to love someone like that. We need to stand close and serve and be there in presence. But can I tell you an honest truth? That is not Christianity. When I give so that I will receive, that's not Christianity. Christianity is when I give because I have received. Because Jesus gave more than I will ever comprehend. What else can I do but give? And so I think, I just, I just lost the story. I think of, there's a pastor called Mark Driscoll, and I was listening to an interview with him over the weekend, and he says his son is the standout baseball player, and he's, been, he's, he's had this career, this flourishing career, and now in America, in his senior year, it's, it, was, it was going to be the celebration because of COVID-19, he will never be able to play senior year baseball, the thing that his, his whole sports career has been building up to, and he says, as a father, it breaks his heart. He will never experience that, and he says, so him and his son, they were just sitting together, and they just cried together. They just cried but then he says his son in something that even astounded his dad. 
He said he got up and he went and he fetched clothes out of his own cupboard and he went and bought food with his own money and he went to a homeless shelter and he served for the rest of that day. And he said to his dad, you know what, dad, my heart is very sore because something that I wanted so much is gone. But there are many other people that are suffering infinitely more than I am. And I just don't, I not only have a God that is with me, but I have a God who is through me. Friends, that is Christianity. And so as a church, as Christians, we should say to the city, need counseling? We will help. Need job training? We will help. Need a bag of groceries? We will help. Need a safe place? We will help. Need parenting support? Need rehabilitation? Need medical care? Need friendship? Have questions about doubts and faith? Have an addiction? Do you have a desire for a fresh start? Do you have a vision to help others? We will help. Because that is what the miracles of Jesus point us to. Friends, I wrestle with this God. But this God is so good. And this God we can trust. And so I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for a second with me. I just want to pray. And I want to pray for just some of you today. That you say, I have a deep need for the God of healing to come and heal, for the God of breakthrough to bring breakthrough. But I also want to trust, there's no music now. There's no atmosphere that you can get caught up in. There is only, I believe, the presence of the living God. And I want to pray today that something even deeper than the needs we have will just settle in our hearts. And so, Jesus, I pray, as Peter said, not because it's us, but because of Jesus. I pray for healing. I pray for breakthrough. I pray that some of us today would stand astounded at what only you can do. But I also pray, God, that some of us who've got heavy hearts, and I speak to myself, God, I pray that you would become more than useful. You would become beautiful. God, that you would send us outward as a church with praying hearts and serving hands. May we just be captivated by you, Jesus. May we just be captivated by you. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen.